rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.Land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.Land, code REFEREERANT. Episode 15, The Rant. Today we sit with Terry Twybell, boys basketball official and proud member of Board 41, doing an adult league, AAU, or a CYO game near you. We discuss his passion for refing, his near brush with death, and his newfound daily appreciation officiating the game he loves. All that and more with my brother, my conversation with Terry now. Welcome to The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref, and I'm with my, my guy, Terry Tybell. How are you? Great to see you, Ralph. Terrific. Okay, so, In fact, we're working tonight, so we'll see each other later today. Yeah. So I had the pleasure to work with him uh, a couple of, I think it was a couple of months after you had your heart attack. Was it, or was it the next year? I would That's, say within the next year. Okay, so yeah. I, I remember there was this email going along, and it was, it was about a gentleman by the name of Terry who had a heart attack. Um, and miraculously, he was on the court. I didn't really know the details, but we will definitely get into this in this podcast. Okay, so he officiates boys basketball, and he's a proud member of Board 41, and he also officiates flag football as well, correct? Correct, right. Do you do any other sports? No, that's it, Ralph. That's it. Okay, so just tell me about your journey of playing sports as a kid. You played baseball? Did you play basketball? How did you get into those things? Baseball, basketball were pretty much my two main sports. Did you like baseball more? Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. Baseball was always my favorite sport, my best sport to play. So how did you get into officiating basketball as opposed to baseball? You know, it was um, really only about 14 years ago. And, um, you know, I was looking for possible another side job of income, four children, college on the way and whatnot. And um, I was involved in PAL already as a coordinator for teenage refs for the lower level in PAL. I knew a lot of kids in the neighborhood from my kids, so um, coaching there for a number of years, the head of PAL, a great guy named Paul Agello, who's still there, a terrific guy who's run uh, Nassau Seaford PAL for a number of years, um, asked me if I would assign teenage officials. And during that time, I'd fill in doing a few games, and I said, you know what, I could probably do this. You know, so so that planted the seed. Ex- just being a coordinator of PAO, exactly, got you the itch. Yeah, yeah. So took the course, and certainly you probably had the same two instructors that I did. Yes, was doing Jimmy, it back then. Jimmy Graham and, and Don Landolfi. I had Don Landolfi and Jimmy Graham. Yeah, two terrific guys. Yeah, and and great refs in their own right too. Now, when you took the class, were you surprised of how difficult it was, or how they were kind of painting it when it was just. Not that it was bland, because obviously Don is, is a character in and of itself, but you could see them just reading the rules, and, and you really don't have any context of what you're doing, because you've, I mean, you've, you've had a little bit of experience, but you don't realize what it will become later on. I think we probably all have the same experience. We went in there thinking we knew the sport 
up and down, back and forward. And then you talk about it maybe in the first meeting, and if I recall, at least the first meeting or the second, they actually gave us the test, almost as a goof up front, if you recall. And well, it was probably 50 questions, and I'm going to say I probably had almost half of them wrong. And I said to myself, wow, this is an eye-opener. You think you know the game, and then when you sit down and look at the rules, you realize you don't know the game the way a referee would know the game. Mm -hmm. So... One thing that I appreciate about Terry is that we're kindred spirits in terms of the amount of volume of games that we do. He's the type of person that if, if he has the opportunity to do 10 games in one day, he'll do it. And it doesn't matter if it's a high level or a low level game. It's just the fact that, and, it, and it's not even about the money for me. It's more so that I just enjoy doing it. I'm addicted to it. And it's better than being addicted to heroin. It's better than being addicted to drinking. So at, at the very least, I'm getting paid for something that I'm passionate about. How did you, how did that mindset come about of you being really into just refing and refing and refing nonstop? I just, um, I guess it's work ethic and everything else. Like you said, it's a part-time job that you do, but at the same time, it is fun. You know, compared to a lot of people who might have a second job and you just feel like when you're out there, you're part of an action. And like you said uh, previously in a conversation, there's always something new, something different that you see, and it's not the same thing every time you do it. And really, you meet great people. I mean, we've all met terrific people, refs, coaches, even spectators and parents, and uh, it, always, it, it always makes things interesting. Do you remember your first experience officiating a real game? I do, yeah. It was a CYO game, and it was an A game, actually, eighth grade boys, and it was pretty competitive. And it's really funny, uh, as a referee in Suffolk County, who I'm very friendly with, Humphrey Cronenberg. He's from um, Amityville. A great guy. We've refed together. We're good friends when we see each other. And he was the coach of St. Martin in Amityville. And I remember, you know, he's giving me the business first time around, you know, and it was a really tight, close game. And uh, it was, yeah, I tell you, it was almost like baptism by fire. When you get in a real competitive game first time out. Right. And that's always one of those weird things about refing. It's like if you take a normal job or any side job or any job that you're trying to do, you're kind of in training and everyone understands that you're in training. But when it comes to officiating, even though you might be proficient 20%, right. you have to look like you're 100%. Sure. You have to be on it. You so have to convey it. That's always a quirky thing. And then probably that's why we get compensated the way we get compensated. I think the best thing you can do, even up front, if you can sell it, okay? Most of the time, you're right. I think even when you begin, you know, obviously, you're getting more comfortable, but if you have a conviction on a call and you sell it, most of the time, you're in good shape. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, once you had that experience the first time, there must have been something in you that made you want to continue to do it more. Where do you think that itch came from? of wanting to just get as many games as possible? Just staying busy. Staying busy. You know, like I said, I like doing it. You know, it was never a grind. You know, when I started out, you know, doing, you know, two a night or whatever and tons on the weekends. And, you know, I, I, looking back, I'd probably say we do too much in a way. And as I get older, certainly, I'm a little bit different age group than you are. Um, you know, it's getting harder and harder. And I realized to myself, I'll probably have to cut back a little bit, but I don't really by any stretch plan on, 
you know, getting cutting back altogether. When it comes to the mindset of when you're doing, let's say, six games, eight games in one day, what is your strategy going into the day when you're starting your first game and still feeling fresh enough to still service and do a good job to the kids that you are servicing that last game? The, what I'm finding now as I get older, and you may find this as you go along, it's hard to do more than three in one location. Absolutely. Because your mind starts straying. You start thinking about different things, maybe food or... If you put me three in a location, I get an hour or two, fret different venue, which is what we do. We hop from place to place. You could almost do eight or nine in a day, as long as you get those breaks in between where you can just kind of, you know, chill and, and bring it down, okay? After three in one location... You're not doing anybody any good a lot. You know, unfortunately, we have to do it sometimes because the signers are desperate and they want you and, and you know, you do what you can for your signer. You know, it works both ways. But after three in one particular place, I find I, I lose that edge a bit, you know, by the fourth game. It's just natural. So, but you definitely pace yourself, right? It's, it's not a situation where you feel like even, for example, um, we, uh, we both service Island Garden, and in April is when it's crazy time. Because right. not only is there a lot of games, there's a lot of high-level games. So we have to kind of bring our A game. And sometimes, I remember one time, this was about three years ago, um, my assigner gave me ten games. And, yeah. I mean, the, the first game out the, out the gate, they were kids right. were dunking. It was probably the toughest game of the day, the first one. Imagine. I'll never forget, I had seven in a row in the same venue. And just, just how Terry was saying that, after the third game, which was also a hard game, I was like, I got seven left, and I'm already losing my you, mind. You, yeah, you had your mind can play games on you, oh, you know, man, and okay. you start like, wow, I got to get through this. Yeah, I have to and get through it. Now, I guess my mindset is that if if I know that that's the situation, it's April, and I know there's going to be high level games. I don't care. I'm not giving my all. I mean, my judgment will be my all. Right. But when it comes to the physical, the physicality of me running up and down like I normally do. I, I got I to gotta relax because I still want to be able to be serviceable right. the seventh game, the eighth game, the ninth game. And that happens often. Well, you know how it goes. I mean, you do a school game and you're doing every switch no matter what area of the court you're on. I mean, you're, you're, you're going on switches all the time. Um, let's face it, CYA and whatnot, we'll switch on foul shots and do the right thing. And, and it doesn't really change anything. But at the same time... You have to conserve yourself a little bit, and that's to be expected if you're going to do those amount of games. Uh oh, somebody's here. And we got sidetracked with Terry's dog, but we're back. Um, so I did want to speak to you about your cardiac arrest. I thought it was a heart attack, but you told me that it was a cardiac arrest. So just tell me a little bit about that. And I guess the way I want to frame it so today at this recording live, it's January 28th. You must feel very weird. Every time it's January 31st, when it turns that day, and even when you get assignments in the future and you see it pop up that particular day, it must make you feel a certain way. The first year anniversary, everything just seems to be serendipitous. The first anniversary, I'm down at Island Garden, and who's working on the court next to me? Steve, Steve Tom. Tom. We posed, you know, I took them all, I said, hey, it's our anniversary. We, you know, took a picture you know, I put it on Facebook, you know, the whole bit. It was like, there's so many parallels that, in a way, just come back. You know, I mean, how can you figure that we're both on? 
you know, we weren't partners that night, but we're literally. But the fact the that you saw court. him that day and yes. you can kind of celebrate it, and yeah, I also find that um, there's such beauty in hurtful things in life, and and I'm sure that you've been through tragedy and failure and negative things in your life, and it seems that when it comes to the passage of time, things get easier to deal with, and sometimes you can laugh about things. I mean, we're laughing about this. This is celebratory. This is a matter. good story. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a happy ending. I mean, I'm sitting here right now. Um, I have four kids that I still have. I mean, I, sometimes I say to myself, why me? Why was I so lucky? I, I've gone through that in a lot of ways, um, looking back and saying, am I really a good person? I don't know. I'm okay. But why was I so lucky? And other people that something like this has happened to aren't so lucky. Mm. And it, I, I have no answer for it. Right. Other than, to, other than the fact that I always want to be nice to people. Obviously, be kind, do what I can, and, you know, wake up every morning and f just feel good. Start the day feeling good that, you know, I'm here. It's a good day. Well, let's get into the events of what happened that day. So it was 2016, and it was January 31st, and it was Seaford Middle School. What do you remember about that day, or what do you remember about moments before that, before you were in your situation? Yeah, like you know, it's always a busy season. You're in, in the height of it. And uh, the night before, my wife had reminded me that uh, I had my, my oldest daughter who lived out of town with a boyfriend here and the family was together and we we're up till one in the morning, you know, laughing and, you know, I had a few drinks and it was a great night and I had to get up early the next morning and, you know, you're loaded up with games. And, um, you know, that afternoon, uh, I had a CYO game. I added on, and I showed up. We had to wait a while. Steve Tom was my partner. Steve and I had worked together a little bit, but we didn't really know each other that well. And um, we walked into almost a cauldron. It was a, a CYO playoff game with two teams, girls game, uh, hotly contested, um, a big rivalry, and um, it, was a, it was one of those really difficult games, more difficult than you know many games that you get throughout the day. And so... Basically, you just fell on the floor, and you don't remember what happened? Yeah. It, uh, well, what would happen was we had a, a very difficult first quarter. Uh, a lot of hard fouls, girls walking over each other to get up off the ground. It, coach, A coach, particular coach on one of the teams really being very vocal, and uh, you know he needed to be calmed down, and this was only the first quarter. And um, we got through the first quarter. I remember in between periods talking to Steve and saying, "We, you know, we were both saying we need to tighten this up. You know what I mean? It's getting a little crazy out of control. We'll just start calling everything, you know, that we see. And the second quarter started out much better, more smoothly, a bit more of a flow of a, a real basketball game. And they said that I was on the baseline and um, I blew my whistle and just... Uh, put my hands out and said, hold on. And the next thing I know, they said I fell forward really with my hands in front of me. And you didn't, you didn't really feel anything at that moment? Did I you have, feel any pain? I had no symptoms. Um, if I was stressed out, it was because of the game maybe, but I had no symptoms physically that I felt, and I certainly don't even remember blowing that whistle. Mm -hmm. So I guess you got rushed to the hospital and then just talk about that. Do you remember uh, those moments when you became conscious? The next thing I knew, I woke up about 48 hours later. Um, I remember just waking up in a bed, 
noticed something down my throat, um, wires, tubes, looking up at a big giant clock that was unfamiliar to me saying, where is this clock? Where am I? And um, looked out on a glass window in the room I was in and saw a friend, a good friend of mine who was at the nurse's desk. And I couldn't wave him to let him know I was awake. And finally, he turned and looked, came in, you know, kidded around with me, say, you don't know where you are? And I just put my hands out and shrugged. And he started to proceed to tell me, you know, I collapsed. I had a heart event. You're here. You know, they put you in a coma. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had induced a coma for about 72 hours to make sure that uh, my brain was functioning correctly. And, you know, they put you into what they call an arctic shock or a freeze, lower your core temperature. It's one of the procedures they use. So if if I ever had any experience like that, I think that would shake me to the core, and I would kind of second guess if I would want to officiate or not. Um, what emboldened you to come back and come back stronger than ever? I just felt like, you know, everybody told me, you're going to be fine after this. You know, you'll have to go through surgery. Surgery is very successful. And you had quadruple bypass I had quadruple surgery, bypass, right? correct. And, um, you know, the mortality rate is 1% or less. So, you know, based on that, I just had, I put my faith in the doctors and what they told me. And um, I felt like, you know, uh, this is, I, I would not want to stop something unless they told me it was going to be bad for your health. And you would have if, if they did say that, right? Oh, sure. I think just, you know, for my family alone. But, you know, once they told me I was going to be fine mm-hmm. and, you know, you go through a recovery process and when you feel you're ready, you know, you can resume all activities. So when you did indeed resume all those activities, how did you feel initially uh, when you when you got into that? I felt good. Um, it was about 10 weeks later. And, um, you know, I the week before I'd gone to my cardiologist and he pretty much told me you can do what you want right now. And they actually offered me physical therapy which I didn't want to take because I felt that my physical therapy would be getting back on the court. Mm. So I turned down the opportunity to do what they wanted me to do, physical therapy, and said, I think I can do this on my own. Wow. And um, at that point, I started refereeing, and it was funny. I remember the first night back, I was with Steve Kaufman, who you've interviewed previously on mm-hmm. your podcast, great guy. And um, you know, I remember being at a game, the game was an adult game, and I just said, keep an eye on me. You know, in case my legs go out from under me or whatever, I just want to make sure I'm able to get up and down the court. And I was fine. I was breathing fine. I just needed to get my legs back into better shape. Have you changed your health habits since that? I've tried. It's difficult, but I do try. Mm -hmm. Okay? Not that I was a fast food crazy nut, and I really don't go to fast food places typically to eat. Okay? I've tried to eat a little bit better. Um... But I'm sure I eat some of the things like pizza and everything else like everybody else does normally. As long as I'm going to my doctor on a regular basis, I'm fine. Well, I'll just say on behalf of all of the refereeing community, it's you're just an inspiration that you still are at it. You're still trying to get better, and you're still servicing all of these games that we have. A um, couple of last things that I wanted to ask you. Um, what did it take to get to where you are now? I think refereeing, um, it, it's so multifaceted. There's so many aspects to it. You have to have a personality. You have to want to hustle and do a good job. You know, that's important to guys like you and me. I know it is to you that, you know, when you get on that court that, you know, you're an expert. 
you have a personality that can deal with coaches, players, and sometimes even spectators if you have to. And um, if you can use those together and, you know, have good mechanics that really make you appear to be as good as you are, that I think that's a big key to it. I, you know, I see a lot of guy, young guys out there, a couple in particular that have great mechanics and have great instinct, but they don't maybe have the personality. Okay, or maybe they have the personality, but don't have the other half of it. So I think guys that can, can really try to focus on each one of them and become a fish, a proficient in them, make them a good referee. So now that um, we've already talked about um, what it took for you to get here, um, where do you see yourself in the future with refereeing? I'd like to continue what I'm doing. You know, as I'm getting older, it's getting harder more physically, but... I say to myself, I'm 58 years old, almost 59. I'm still able to do this. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of 59-year-olds that maybe can't do this. So I'm very fortunate that I can. Maybe I'll take a few less games here and there. But um, I'd like to, you know, continue doing this as long as I can, as long as I like it, and you know, I love it. You know what I mean? Would you ever consider doing any other sports? I don't know if I'd find the time. You know, this so you think basketball you know, loads you up? I think and basketball, you can go all year round. Okay. You know, and um, the greatest thing about this thing is guys meeting guys like you, meeting other referees. It's a in any sport to be a referee is something inside these people, men and women who have the ability to put themselves out there. Okay, not everybody can do it. Mm. Not everybody can deal with it. Deal with the coaches, the spectators, the things that people say about you. You know, you don't you know, you hear it. But you really can't respond to it because you got to realize this is what people do. This is what people say. And um, I think it makes some special people. And, you know, the personalities and the great people I meet when we walk into Island Garden and we see all these guys and we talk, we hug. Um, I would miss that if I had to give that up. Me too. Me too. And uh, having said that, um, Terry, I appreciate your time, man. Ralph, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to working with you in five hours. I'll see you at uh, 6.15 on Court 1. And don't forget about Wednesday. You got it. Talk to you then. Uh, This is Ralph the Ref, the rant signing out.